This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You know what? Last year we were in the Stanley Cup Finals and it was tough to lose. Tonight was, a, was tougher than that. It really was the way we lost that hockey game. I mean... Like I said, I'm sure you've all seen it on TV. There was, there was no intent. I feel awful that Joe got hurt. You know, he's a class, class player for their team. I really, you know, everybody loves him. But there was no intent. There was no high stick that hit him in the face. When Stashney come out, they sort of got caught up, and he fell and banged his head in the ice. So that's the unfortunate part of it. And, you know, it was an awful call. we all seen it. It's too bad, you know, we end up losing because of that because we're in control of the hockey game. Hello, everybody. Welcome in to the Golden Edge podcast. I am Ben Goetz coming to you from the uh, Review Journal Studios after the Golden Knights. 5-4 overtime loss to the San Jose Sharks in Game 7 of their first round playoff series. That, of course, ends the Knights season. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to get into with this game. Uh, but first, I'm going to toss it to uh, some of my colleagues who are at this game in San Jose. Uh, first up, uh, Adam Hill. Adam, I'll just ask you, what's the... Uh, mood like right now both at the sap center and uh at the car you are currently driving back to your hotel room yeah we've got a a car full of rj staffers after uh, covering the game here uh in the wee hours of uh, i guess wednesday morning now uh just kind of driving back i think it's shock i think i'm sure vegas gold the knights fans are shocked i think the players are uh angry but there's also going to be you know some shock when it kind of settles in exactly what happened i'm sure you know as i said the fans and then even media that cover the game and you know it's not like uh there's you know you don't have a stake in it as far as you know being a fan or being a player or anything like that you're just kind of covering it and watching what happened but uh i think as you watch it unfold everybody was kind of leaning toward okay when that third goal is scored max patch ready in the third period you say all right it's three nothing big lead no lead changes so far in the series this thing's over and everybody's kind of got their minds turned to writing a story and, and heading out and getting back to Vegas and then traveling to Colorado next week. And all of a sudden in, in an instant, everything changes. And it was kind of crazy how that changed. I mean, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll dissect the call and everything that went, went on there and the, and the, the ill-fated penalty kill, but really it was like not a, you know, not in wide open space, anything like that. It's just kind of off a face off. You don't really expect a whole lot to happen. And then all of a sudden you see Pavelski laying there bleeding and there's a call that kind of changes the course of two franchises. So uh, I think anything other than being shocked right now uh, would, would kind of be weird. I think that's the feeling everybody has. Yeah. I think absolute shock is totally the right word. I mean, you heard uh, golden Knights coach Gerard Gallant say, even after the game, this is, you know, feels worse than losing the Stanley cup final last year. Um, so many mood shifts in this game, so many swings of emotion, course you had uh sharks coach pete DeBoer say after the game you know this is the craziest game i've been involved with certainly is just a person who's grew up around hockey watched a lot of hockey it's one of the craziest games i've uh 
ever seen. And as you mentioned, there's obviously so much to get into specifically with the game, but I do want to quick introduce uh, the other stellar member of our crack coverage team. That is David Shane, who somehow had to write a game story amidst all the game seven chaos. Uh, Dave, I'll just get your initial impressions. What did we just witness? I don't know. <laughs> it's probably going to take me a good, you know, whatever, a beer and sitting around thinking about it. I mean, it's just, there was so much going on. And that third period was just like, uh, I mean, I, I always remember like you go to Disneyland and you get on a uh, big thunder mountain and they have that speech about, you know, hang on your hats and glasses. This year's the wildest ride in the West. That was the third period. I mean, it was, every which way but loose up down around um i know i was talking to shang pang after and he was we were kind of recollecting about a king's game from 98 that kind of had a similar um outcome it was like a three nothing game and there was a major penalty everything kind of turned and things like that so i mean it's crazy it's not like completely unprecedented um to have something like this happen but i just think the circumstances in a game seven to be up three nothing, you know, with the the series having you know been up three one and all the perilous you know situations and everything just kind of teetering. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I know I have a hard time processing it. I can't imagine what it's like, uh, you know, for the players and coaches and and folks in that organization right now. Yeah, absolutely. And Dave, I want to stay with you real quick so we can get uh, your thoughts on, of course, the play of the game, the one that. We're all going to be talking about for a really long time, and fans are going to be talking about for years. I mean, this is a play that I think basically becomes part of the fabric of a franchise in a very bad way. And as someone who grew up around Minnesota sports, I'm very familiar with a lot of these plays. But there's a faceoff in the third period. Cody Eakin gets a stick kind of up high by Joe Pavelski's head area. Pavelski stumbles back into Paul Stasny. He falls over onto the ice. Uh, Pete DeBoer said after the game, he said he was Pavelski was, quote, clearly unconscious or clearly out while he was on the ice. There's, of course, a lot of blood on the ice, so it, of course, looks bad. And eventually, Cody Eakin gets called for a cross-check, a major penalty, and, of course, a game misconduct, which removes him from the game and gives the Sharks a five-minute power play. I mean, before we even get to, you know, the result of what happened because of that call, I mean, just your general thoughts on the decision the referees made at that, at that moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to get into, like, a whole journalism conversation and philosophical whatever about all this. And, I mean, it's, you know, obviously, like Adam said, I mean, we don't have anything invested in this. I'm certainly not a fan. Um, so it's a little hard for me to kind of inject my opinion into it. But just from, you know, trying to look at it objectively. I mean, it was pretty clear. I thought that the replay showed that he cross-checked him in the chest. Now, should it have been a two-minute major? Or, I mean, sorry, a two-minute minor? I mean, I guess maybe you could argue that. I mean, it was a pretty clear cross-check. I also know as somebody that, you know, grew up playing center, you're kind of taught, you know, win, lose, draw, you tie the center up. And I'm sure that's what Eakin was doing, just trying to be physical, give him a shove. And it looked like he, you know, did it in an area that was probably safe to do so. Um, and then everything just kind of at that point, obviously, is Pavelski falling off balance and kind of getting twisted up with Stasny. 
and I, I couldn't tell if he kind of got slew-footed a little bit or what sent him kind of sideways. But, I mean, clearly the blood, the damage, and the impact and the injury and things like that were from the impact of Pavelski hitting the ice as opposed to he can stick. So as far as like a five-minute major and things like that, and, you know, we I requested to have a pool reporter go get an comment from the officials and they basically just kind of said you know look they they look deemed that it was a major um i think what was weird to me was the way that it was similar to i guess um which was the game was a game five i believe when march so knocked out couture's teeth um yes and and the way that the officials kind of didn't call anything at first and then kind of assessed the damage and then called it almost like retroactively, I guess. And the way that they seem to do that tonight, I think maybe at least from some Knights fan standpoint, aside from the fact that it, they felt like it wasn't a major penalty, that there's just that involved in it, um, that it just felt like if they didn't call it right away and they had to huddle and do all these other things and, it was pretty obvious, at least on replay, that he didn't get him in the head, that how could they go back and, you know, just kind of randomly decide to do this. But, you know, things happen fast. It's a fast game. And, you know, obviously I think the the bigger issue, I mean, we can debate the penalty and whether it was or wasn't, but what we can't debate is how the Knights reacted to it. And they reacted very poorly. Their penalty, penalty kill was, you know, running ragged. They gave up a goal seven seconds into it and everything just kind of seemed to snowball and escalate on, on that. So, you know, a lot of it, yeah, you know, you can yell and scream and stomp your feet about the refs, but you also have to look at it objectively and say the Knights, you know, penalty kill is, is really what let them down. And, you know, if they were able to get out of that thing, three, one, even maybe three, two, you know, maybe they're able to kind of hang on for the last seven, eight minutes or so. But obviously the way that they, weren't able to do that, kind of put themselves in a hole that they tried to dig out of and ultimately March Soak's goal got them to overtime. But, you know, I, there's just, it, it's hard. There's, there's just kind of so much that goes into it, a whole lot of layers, um, you know, but I guess objectively speaking, to answer your question, no, I didn't think it, sh it should have been a five minute major. No. Yeah. You mentioned that statement we got from a uh, series supervisor, Don Van Massenhoven. He said the referees called a cross-checking penalty for an infraction that caused a significant injury in their judgment, the infraction and its result merited a major penalty. And what's, of course, tough for the referee in that situation is he's seeing that, and there's no sort of video review system in play right now for the NHL to look at penalties and specifically major penalties like they could with goaltender interference or offsides on goals, et cetera, et cetera. And that's certainly... Seems like that will be a talking point moving forward as to whether these will become uh, reviewable plays. Um, but Adam, I kind of want to go back to you, and we've heard you know Dave's thoughts on the initial call, and I think let's get into how the Knights reacted to it on the ice later, but how do they react to it off the ice? What is the mood in the locker room uh, surrounding this call? We're going to hear from Jonathan Marshall and get his very unfiltered thoughts on it in a second, but... <laughs> Uh, the rest of the locker room, what was kind of uh, the mood in there surrounding that call? You know, it's interesting. I, I thought Marshall was the only guy that was really fired up, uh, for lack of a better term. I, I, I thought, you know, talking to a guy like Max Pacioretty was kind of as you would expect 
kind of the stoic, the captain from the Canadians that, that you've kind of come to know and kind of just said the right things. And he was clearly depressed, uh, clearly down. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't the uh, the fire and fury that we saw from Marcia so and, and, you know, to a lesser extent, Gerard Gallant, who was certainly upset with the call. Uh, you had, you know, other guys around the locker room. You know, obviously, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury was down. Uh, Braden McNabb was, was certainly down. Um, there was just a lot of, of real sadness around the room, except for, you know, Marcia so. And, and I actually think there might have been more anger uh, that guys were just trying to, to cover and hide. And, and I'll say this, it was one of those, very, very long cooling off periods out in the hallway uh, where I'm sure there was a lot of things, uh, say, being discussed loudly, maybe even thrown around. Uh, you don't really know what's going on in that room. But uh, I think by the time we were in there, the guys that talked uh, are kind of the guys that, you know, knew what to say and knew how to handle their emotions, except for, you know, Marcia, I think Marcia's was as you would expect it to be. As you said, you could uh, listen to what he said. He certainly cursed. He compared it uh, to what happened with the Saints. Uh, at the end of that NFC Championship game. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, when they have their end-of-season availability, which could be as soon as tomorrow, uh, how they are kind of processing things and how they're talking about Because, you know, there's there's different stages of emotion when you go through these things. And uh, I'm sure there was, you know, as we said, a ton of anger. There's at some point going to be, you know, sad, there's going to be the, the sadness, and the acceptance at some point that your summer has started and, it's going to be a long, long offseason for the Golden Knights to think about a lot of things, but that's certainly a very, very tough situation to have gone through. Yeah, definitely a tough situation that, you know, stirred up a lot of emotions. Coach Gerard Gallant said after the game, it was an awful call. And uh, I'll just toss it to Jonathan Marshall and let you give, uh, let you hear his thoughts because they were certainly interesting. It was stolen? Yeah, it was 3 nothing. What, 10, 12 minutes left? <laughs> Scored four goals on the power play. Like, yeah, they came clutch. I mean, they feed off the bad call and they came back and 4-3. Get, get the big goal in overtime. I give them credit at some point. They're a great hockey team. It's, just, it's embarrassing. They get a power play goal, fine. 3-1. Big deal. Two-goal game, 10 minutes left. How, how tough is it going to be knowing that that's the story yeah. throughout the entire But it's the same thing with the, what's the, what's the football game, the same. Saints. It changes the whole outcome. Like, obviously, human error exists, but it's a fast game for everyone. I think everybody needs extra help. And I think they just got involved in the game, called the bad call, and look where we are. The summer starts five months now until game one of the regular season starts. All right, so it's important to note the call that, of course, Jonathan Marshall just discussed in uh, epic detail there happened about 9 minutes and 13 seconds into the third period. At that point, the Knights are up 3 nothing, and, of course, in total control of that game. And within the end of that five-minute penalty, they were not leading that game. The Sharks scored four power play goals within the span of 4-0-1 because it's a five-minute major it does not revert back to five on five after a goal. The Sharks were able to just keep firing away, and a lot of those pucks went in the net. Um, Adam, from your view, kind of on the ice, it really just seemed like once the Golden Knights started letting goals in, they couldn't stop, and they just lost all the momentum so, so quickly. How did disaster happen 
you know, so fast on that penalty kill, which started the game really, really well. Yeah, and it played well in the series. I mean, if you if you look at it, give up as many power play goals in that stretch and they had in the entire series, it, it was it's one of those things and I I think it's it's difficult to explain and at some point, you know, with all the all the chaos that happened after the game, you don't really get to analyze it as much as you want to. Uh, I definitely want to watch back and just kind of see how it's snowballed on top of each other. But I think, you know, you go into that five minutes, you're angry that it happened, you're upset, you've given a little bit of hope to the Sharks when they really didn't have much at the time. And then the 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 fact that they give up a goal so quickly, just right away on the on that power play, I think was just devastating. So when you're you're thinking about it, I think you're thinking in terms of all right, it's it's a five minute penalty. It's you know, two and a half times what a normal one would be. Let's just try to kill off the first two minutes and then hey, if we give up a goal, you give up a goal, it's three one. And maybe even if you give up two, as Dave was saying earlier, it's three two. You still have a lead. You're still holding on to it. But but then your thought process completely shifts when you give up that goal right away, just seconds into the power play, those seven seconds. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, now you've got almost an entire five minute five minutes uh to try to figure out how to prevent another goal from happening. And then it's, it's another one fairly quickly after that. And you start just really panicking. And, and I think you saw a sense of panic from the golden Knights of being in a position of, you know, what is going on here? We just had this game won, And now not only do we only have a one goal lead, but now there's still, you know, more than three minutes left on this, on this penalty kill. It, it was, it was just one of those things that I think just built on top of each other. The momentum got crazy. The arena was insane. Uh, how loud it was and people just stopping and going crazy and just the atmosphere was out of control. And I think it was just like, uh, it was an overwhelming moment and, and they just, they lost it and they lo- allowed too many chances. And obviously flurry uh, didn't get his, you know, didn't get good vision on a lot of those pucks and there's just bodies everywhere and there were screeners and, and, you know, deflection. There's just, it was so much going on on that, on that penalty kill uh, with such a big atmosphere. I mean, it's a game seven, it's you know the third period of a game seven and a game that you all of a sudden have hope in. It was just everything that you could expect to happen that happened, and it just spiraled out of control. So I think it's just one of those things where sometimes in sports, sometimes momentum matters and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, you know, momentum is only, only as good as the next goal, really. But uh, you saw right there where it really could come into play, and I just think it was one of those cases where each goal just built on itself and built on each other. And you know, I think it was. There's been some discussion. I know in the media room we were talking about the fact that the Knights waited a long time and Druglant waited a long time to use that timeout and try to calm things down. Or maybe it was three two. They could have used it and tried to calm things down there. But that atmosphere just got carried away. It got it got you know it it pulled away from them, and I think they just lost all composure. And you saw that kind of lead to those goals that the Sharks scored. And before you knew it, it wasn't even. You know, it wasn't even a lead you were holding on to. It's a deficit that you're staring at. And it was just an unbelievable turn of events that one that you you very rarely see and certainly very rarely see in person. Yeah, I could not believe what I was uh, seeing back here at our Review Journal Studios. I'm sure it was obviously, as you mentioned, crazy in the SAP Center. And yeah, I think the key was, I mean, they scored right away. It took about six seconds for Logan Couture to put one in the net to make it 3-1. You could tell the Sharks were fired up. Obviously, Joe Pavelski, such a you know big veteran for that team. You could tell they wanted to come up big for him. So they score really quickly. Then just 49 seconds after that, they get the second goal with a great Tomas Hurdle deflection into the net. Couture scores again. 
Kevin LeBanc all of a sudden beats Flurry, and then everything is just going the shark's way. And like I said, this all happens within a period of four minutes and one seconds of game time. Uh, so Dave was there. I mean, what was the reaction, I guess, from some of the guys in the locker room? And when we heard that, you know, Braden McNabb talked and they had been such a good penalty killing team, how was this able to just completely get away from them? Because as you put in your story, this is the third time in NHL playoff history that a team has scored four goals in a five minute major. It is hard to score four goals in a five minute major, and it is hard to give up four goals in a five minute major. And so it's a really good look for the sharks and not a great look for the Knights penalty kill. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, didn't have a lot of answers to be quite honest. Um, a lot of head shaking, uh, a lot of staring at the, the ground and, and just trying to come up with, you know, some sort of explanation. I don't think any of them really, uh, really had anything at, at that moment. I know I talked to, uh, to Braden McNabb and, you know, was, was there for a couple of minutes and asked him a couple of questions. And, you know, I mean, I actually literally at one point said, you know, I'm just, I'm going to let you go. And I'm, I'm not going to beat you up about this anymore. Um, you know, I mean, you could just tell that, that they were, you know, just, just cloudy. I mean, none of them had any, you know, any explanation, any reason. Um, you know, I think, like you said, I think the fact that they scored so early on it, the fact that the building got into a, to the game the fact that they got the second one pretty quick you know i mean there was just kind of so many things it's almost like you know everything that the knights do to teams at home at t-mobile when things get rocking and and all that it it got kind of thrown back at them they got a taste of their own medicine a little bit you know when it when a building gets crazy and the momentum goes you know swings to the other side and things like that uh, I mean, they had given up, what, four power play goals in the, in the first six games of the series. Until then, they had done a great job on the, on the penalty kill pretty much all night, to be quite honest, and, until that point. And it just, you know, it just got away from them. I don't know if it was a matter of, you know, they, they lost their cool, their emotions because they didn't think it was a penalty. I don't know if they were looking ahead after the Pacioretty goal and just weren't able to kind of reset, regroup, you know, get mentally where they needed to get to for that, you know, five minute sequence. Um, maybe we'll find out a little bit more, you know, locker day once they're able to kind of let everything digest. But I think, you know, unfortunately right now, just with everything being so fresh, I don't know that anybody's really got an explanation or, or, or good answers for, for how something like this could happen. I mean, three, nothing in the game, three, one in the series. Um, I mean, it's a little bit off or whatever. And I said this in, you know, the video, but I go back to the last handful of, you know, games, the last few weeks of the regular season. And obviously Mark Andre Fleury's injury played into it, but you know, the Knights decided to heal up some guys and maybe they could have gone after some games there. Maybe they could have caught the sharks. The, the sharks certainly didn't play well down the stretch. The door was open for him to, uh, you know, overtake them for second place. And they weren't able to do it. And the result is that the game seven ends up back here in San Jose as opposed to T-Mobile. And, you know, all that environment and, and everything like that played into tonight. I don't think you can discount that. So, I mean, it's hypothetical and, you know, who knows what would have happened. But, 
you know, there's it's just another kind of layer, I guess, that that goes into all of this. Yeah, because there's so many layers that go into all of this, uh, including the fact that we, you know, we've talked about this call and, of course, the four power play goals the Golden Knights allowed. But the game was still not over at that point. And, in fact, we had a whole extra period to play because Jonathan Marshall snuck one past Martin Jones' short side with 47 seconds left in the game, tied it up 4-4. to And for the second straight game between these two teams, we got overtime. And eventually, with about a minute and 41 seconds left in the overtime period, Barclay Goodrow is able to deke around Flurry and score. But it was a... Another fast-paced overtime period, despite the fact that these two teams were coming off a double overtime pretty recently. But for the most part, it did seem like the Sharks were getting the better chances. Um, so, Adam, did you just think the Knights were just still so drained, even though they got that late third-period goal from Marshall to tie it up? Did they have enough left in the tank for overtime? Yeah, we, t- we talked about the emotions. Uh, we talked about you know how things... Uh, we're kind of building there and, and you kind of thought or at least I kind of thought being there that is as crazy as it was in favor of San Jose with all those goals on the power play uh, that the Knights scoring that goal and tying it up and heading into overtime might have had the momentum they might have been able to steal that back but I, I also kind of feel like that that session that you know the in between the regulation and the overtime I think was probably a chance to lose that momentum and for them to go in the locker room and talk about, we had this one now let's go try to win it again. And kind of that, you know, that, that sense of maybe doom a little bit of like, we already had this thing one and now we got to do it again. We're on the other side the sharks had a chance to say, Hey, listen, it's new life. Even though, even though we, you know, had a lead and we give up a goal in the last minute, we, we thought we were going to have no chance at this. So we thought this game was over and that, you know, <laughs> that we were going to be going home and our season was, was over and then all of a sudden they have a new life so i i think that that you know despite that goal coming very late in regulation i think that you know that that break in between the regulation and the overtime was really probably a chance for the sharks to get fired up again and the knights to kind of lament what went wrong and you saw the sharks come out very ready uh in the overtime session not that the knights weren't ready but you know i thought that the sharks had the better of the action they got the better chances mark andre fleury was unbelievable in that overtime and the, the Knights had a couple of chances as well but uh, you just kind of got the sense that Flurry was carrying them a little bit and uh eventually they found they found a way to get the goal they went you know around Barkley Goodrow made a great play got around Flurry skated around him went to the forehand and, and put it by him and uh and that was it for the Knights the, the place went crazy and the season was over and they were left to think about everything that went wrong but yeah I mean it was another opportunity for the Knights it was a, a second chance after getting that tying goal but Really, it was the the sharks that kind of took things over in overtime, and that's what I was talking about before with, you know, momentum. Like sometimes you don't really know where it's going to stand, and it it seemed like even though the Knights had that late goal, that it was it was the sharks that came out with the momentum in the overtime. Yeah, and I think you brought up an important point that it was 100% going to get lost uh, when this game goes down in history. It was Mark Andre Fleury outside of a, a four minute stretch there in the third period, shorthanded, was absolutely unbelievable in this game. This game, in a lot of ways, to me, for the most part, felt like a reverse of Game 6, which the Knights lost, which is a game that the Golden Knights absolutely dominated in every category except for the scoreboard. And for a lot of this game, it really did feel like the Sharks were generating good chances. They had good jump. 
but the Knights were the ones that were just getting the bounces and scoring goals. And for the most part, the Sharks, it didn't seem for the life of them, could buy a goal for themselves until the uh, play that changed everything. Um, so it's certainly interesting, certainly a lot to think about, uh, both with this game and the Golden Knights season as a whole. So as we kind of think big picture here with all the things that we're trying to wrap our heads around, uh, Dave, I'll go back to you. How do you think year two of the Golden Knights will be remembered? Obviously, year one, incredible trip to the Stanley Cup final. Year two, round one exit. Is that still considered a good thing for an expansion team to make the playoffs in both of their first two years? Or are expectations high enough for this team already in year two where a first-round exit should be a disappointment? Yeah, normally I would say it's, you know, sucking your team and you're making the playoffs and you take a team like San Jose to game seven and you should feel pretty good about yourself. But I think the bar is not not really so much just from last year, but just, you know, the off season, the acquisitions, you know, the the players, the pro, you know, the projections for what this team should have done kind of coming in. I, I mean, it was just almost like, I don't know. I mean, it's almost a weird microcosm of the season in a way, you know, kind of stop start, you know, they, they had the slow start with Schmidt out and then they were able to kind of get it back in the middle and make a run. And then they kind of tailed off at the end. And it seemed like same thing here uh, in the playoffs. So, I mean, I think, you know, anytime you make the tournament, you know, you make the playoffs, you make the postseason. that's the goal. I don't know that, you know, seeding and all those sorts of things matter. Clearly we've seen, you know, throughout the rest of the league, um, with wild cards and everybody else getting knocked off that once you're in it, you know, it's, it's a free for all and anything can happen. But yeah, I mean, I think you're up three, one in a series and you're up three Oh, no matter what, it's a disappointment. I mean, I don't know how you could look at it any other way. I know uh, <laughs> when I talked to Brad May uh, yesterday for the story uh, that we ran and we were just kind of talking and I asked him, you know, about the game and things like that. And he made a comment to me about how if the Knights blow a 3-1 lead in the series, it's the only way to consider it is an epic failure. I don't know if maybe that's too strong, but but certainly it's a disappointment. Certainly it's a letdown. Certainly it's, if it's not a failure, it's it's right on the edge of it. That's for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a, a pretty crushing blow to the Knights after everything seemed to go their way in year one and uh adam i'll throw it back to you as i you know try to dissect i guess this collapse a little bit more obviously up 3-1 in this series up 3-0 in game seven i mean can we pinpoint a place where this series specifically went wrong for the knights i mean it seems like so much has happened i mean we're talking about all this crazy things that happened in game seven we haven't even mentioned that the golden knights coach called the sharks coach a clown this morning that is just getting completely <laughs> lost in the shuffle but as a real thing that is a real headline in the paper tomorrow too but it's going to completely get swept away by all the craziness tonight um but yeah for you where did this thing really go south for the knights and why weren't they able to turn the ship around once things were starting to go bad you know i don't know i mean i've, I've talked on this podcast several times already and i'll throw back uh to my theory again that I thought when they were up three to one, they really changed their attitude and changed their, their tone. And they went away from a lot of the trash talking and the physical play and the chippiness and everything else. 
and I think that was a, I think that was a calculated move uh, by the organization to say, hey, knock this off. And I, I don't know that they ever kind of recovered. They had the Sharks on their heels. They had the Sharks playing crazy and saying crazy things, and uh, they let the Sharks just settle back into playing hockey. And I thought that was a mistake. But you know, that's been my take over and over again. So I won't go back, go too much back into that. But uh, I did think that was a mistake. I did think that's where the series changed. I mean, clearly, you look at the call tonight. The Knights had control of the game, control of the series. It was over. Uh, they had the win, but you know, not not closing them out in Game Six. I think is gonna it's gonna be a time the Golden Knights look back on and say, yeah, this the call went against them, and everything that happened in Game Seven was just a a disaster in so many ways, and it was. Uh, you know, such a, a horrible moment for the franchise. And, and they'll certainly remember that. And that's what's going to be talked about a lot. But I think the Knights having many opportunities to put the, put the series away in game six at home, where they've been so good over the last two years, is going to be one that it's going to be under, you know, underlooked, <laughs> underlooked. I'm very tired. It's a late night. Uh, it's going to be overlooked by a lot of people uh, in history that look back and it's going to, this series is going to be known for that game seven. Uh, and for just blow, you know blowing a three-one lead in general, but the Knights have been so good on home ice, and to not be able to close that series out at T-Mobile Arena with so many chances against Martin Jones, who was beleaguered in this series, uh, I think that's going to be one. Uh, while maybe not people nationally talk about it, I think internally the Knights, when they really start to you know put a cap on the season, will look back and say you had a chance on home ice to close this out, and you weren't able to do it, and I think that will be a big moment for them. Yeah, and they'll have a lot of time to think about it now. Of course, we will have locker clean-out coverage whenever that day ends up happening. There's, of course, going to be a lot of off-season storylines to follow, so make sure you keep it tuned in to ReviewJournal.com. You check out ReviewJournal.com. I don't know what I'm saying either. We'll, of course, be doing podcasts updating you on all that's going on in the Golden Knights off-season, so make sure you keep liking, subscribing, whatever you do when you're checking out podcasts. Uh, we are the Golden Edge crew. I'm Ben Goats. I want to thank David Shade and Adam Hill for taking some time out of their commute in San Jose after a, an excellent night of Game 7 coverage out there. So gentlemen, thank you. Listeners, thank you. Uh, for the Golden Edge podcast, I'm Ben Goats, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.